0: Kabbalah and the psychology of the soul taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky a person has a thought a wrong thought enters into your mind you don't control that because it just pops into your mind we can't control our subconscious these negative thoughts enter enter into our mind our control is what we do with this thought, how we react to it. Do we entertain the thought or do we dismiss the thought? That's our freedom of choice. A person has a freedom of choice either to pursue the thought or to dismiss it. Like someone knocks on your door, someone rings your doorbell. If they're not a welcome guest, you leave the door shut. You You answer the buzzer, who's there? I'm not interested, goodbye. So when a negative thought pops into your head, you have a choice. You're the boss, you don't have to let everyone in. Just because it showed up at your doorstep doesn't mean they have to let them in. I don't like your company. You're a negative company. You're a bum out of my out of my house. I'm not letting you in. Goodbye. You're not wanted, so you leave the door shut. So the this thought pops into your mind, but you dismiss it the moment it pops in your mind. You dismiss it. I don't want to go there. I don't want to think, entertain this thought. there are people, whatever enters their mind, they think about. Whatever, whatever, whatever happens. But we're talking about a person who's responsible who is mature, and who does the right thing in thought, speech, and action. So when a negative thought pops into his mind, he immediately dismisses. it. Because worried to entertain it, then that's a, a spiritual defect. Then he's doing something wrong. And that we addressed already in the previous chapter. If someone does something wrong, and he's depressed or he's sad because of his weakness... And Altarebbe addresses, how do you deal with that sadness? And he says, it's not a time to think about it, not during business and not during prayer. There's a special time set aside. You have to think about your moral defects, your moral challenges, your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities. But here he's not talking about a moral defect. He didn't do anything wrong. Because again, you can't control the thought falling into your mind or not. As Al-Tarebi explained earlier, and this is the foundation of the book, the book of the Tanya is the book of the Benini. The Benini is someone who has not had a core transformation. He's not in charge, not in control of his subconscious. Subconsciously, he is attracted to, towards things that are unhealthy and things that are unwholesome. And you're not in control of it. You are in control of your behavior. Am I going to pursue it? Am I going to act on it? Am I going to think about it? Am I going to speak in it? And that you are completely in control. Just like people, millions of people who successfully have diets, disciplined diets, eat healthy, go against whatever mainstream diet which is extremely unhealthy, and they avoid the drunk food, and it takes tremendous discipline, takes tremendous strength, but it doesn't mean that they're not naturally attracted towards, towards the junk food. You know, the junkier it is, the tastier it is, the more attractive it is. Fat free, taste free. <laughs> so, so that's, but nevertheless, they have the presence of mind and they have the strength. They're in touch with themselves. I want to be healthy. I don't want to eat junk food, <laughs> I don't want to destroy myself. I value my life. <laughs> Why should I eat Why should I junk food myself? They're not depressed. They don't feel worthless. They feel their life is worthy. The life has value. Why should I destroy myself? I feel better if I eat holes. So they have this discipline. They have the presence of mind. God created us. We have the ability of mind over matter. We can control ourselves. We're not animals. We're not creatures of instinct. And there are millions of people who successfully do it. But it's a struggle. It's a conflict. And it doesn't mean that there's been a core transformation that suddenly a delicious ice cream doesn't talk to you, a delicious cream pie doesn't talk to you. Just like you have drunk food, you have drunk lifestyle. And we're attracted. The drunkier it is, the more attractive it is. And we're attracted to all, all the drunk, uh, drunk lifestyles uh, that life has to offer. So you're human, and you're down to earth, and you're attracted to it. But you have the inner discipline, you have the strength of mind to say, No, I don't want to go that route. I want to speak healthily, and I want to think in a healthy way, and I want to act in a healthy, wholesome way. So it's not in your control that the thought should not enter your mind. What is in your control is what you do once it enters your mind. Because a person, you can't stop thinking. But you can change channels. Instead of thinking negative thoughts, I can change channels. I'll instead, I'll fill my mind with positive content, content. And you'll dismiss that negative thought or that lewd thought. So why is he so depressed? Why is he anxious? He's anxious and depressed for the fact that a negative thought is still disturbing. That it could be after years of discipline, after years of doing the right thing and saying the right thing and thinking the right thing and working so hard. He's still dragged down by these negative thoughts. He still has to struggle with all these negative thoughts. It's like an endless battle. You have no, what am I looking forward to? This will never end. <laughs> oh, <you see. laughs> It's yeah, yeah. enough, enough to depress you so how, how do you overcome this sadness this can cause a tremendous inner sadness anguish this can rob a person of his joy here you tell the person you have to, what the key ingredient is you have to march to war you have to march confident joyful, confident in your victory what victory? he's telling me I'm going to fight for the rest of my life I'll never have peace so that's a very demoralizing thought how do you deal with this This issue, it's a serious issue. What he's addressing here is that the person feels anxious, not guilty for having these thoughts, but anxious that he's going to have these thoughts for the rest of his life. That these thoughts will constantly bombard him. And he has no remedy. He has no relief. No matter how hard he tries, no matter how hard he struggles, he's never going to win the war. Now that could be a very depressing thought. You know, you're never going to win the war. There's never going to be a let up. A war, it's limited, fine. You know, you have a war, it's coming to an end, you mobilize, you see the light at the end of the tunnel. yeah, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. This is a lifelong campaign. No relief, no rest, no let up. That could be very depressing, very demoralizing. So he says not only shouldn't you be depressed or demoralized, you should be joyful. Because by pushing away these thoughts, you're actually fulfilling a mitzvah. You're fulfilling a commandment, a biblical commandment. And that is to push away thoughts. That a person is bombarded with negative thoughts. And yet, you push away these thoughts. Because we are warriors. We are soldiers in Hashem's army, in God's army. We are warriors. We are holy warriors. And that's our mission in life. Our mission in life is to do battle and to struggle, and to overcome difficulty, and to overcome comfort. That is our mission. That is what life is about. For us, that is our purpose, our purpose in life. We fulfill our purpose when we overcome a difficulty, when we overcome a struggle. We fulfill the commandment, the biblical commandment, one of the 613 commandments, not to follow your negative thoughts could refer to idolatrous thoughts, and could also refer to um, immoral thoughts. So every time you turn away from that thought, you're actually fulfilling a mitzvah. You're doing the will of Hashem. A mitzvah is Hashem's wish. You're fulfilling His wish. You're fulfilling His will. You're doing what you were intended to do. That is your mission. That is your purpose. So you you should feel joyous that you're fulfilling the divine will. You're, you're doing exactly what Hashem expects of you and wants of you and desires of you and get so much pleasure out of it. That should be a comforting thought. That should, be, that should give you joy. A mitzvah you fulfill either by acting on the mitzvah, doing something, or by avoiding an act of omission. When? When you're tempted to do a sin. When you're tempted to steal and you refrain from stealing because God says you should be honest. You're fulfilling a mitzvah. They say a thief who doesn't have the opportunity to steal thinks that he's honest. That's not not a mitzvah. A mitzvah is when you have the opportunity, you have the means and you have the opportunity, and yet you say no, because it's a mitzvah, because it's divine, because God says no. You have to be honest. So too, when you have the opportunity to sin, you have the energy and and the temptation to sin, and you say no, then you fulfill a mitzvah. Even though you're not doing anything, but that's just as a mitzvah, as if, as if you did something. Because that takes a lot out of you. The ability to say no takes a lot out of you. As a matter of fact, it's a, it's a much deeper mitzvah than an act of, of commission, an act that you can visibly see. The, here it's very subtle. You don't see anything. It's all internal. But it comes from a much deeper place. A, the ability to say no. A person's character is defined not so much by what you do, as by what you don't do. By what you won't do. When you dismiss, you say, This I won't do. These are my red lines and I won't cross. That's how, that's how you can tell what a person is all about. Not by how a person expresses himself, self expression. It's a person's restraint that's much deeper and gives the person a lot more color and character and depth than by what a person does. So when a person is tempted to do a sin, he says, No, I'm not going to do this. That's what builds character. That's what tells you about a person. Why shouldn't you be tempted? Why shouldn't you have these thoughts fall into your, into your mind? You're human. Like 99.9% of everyone else. Why are you different than anyone else? No matter how much Torah you learn, no matter how many mitzvot you do, you can go to synagogue for 100 years. You can't achieve a core transformation. It's not within our realm. It's not within our power. God did not give us that power. You can't transform yourself on the subconscious level. You could transform yourself on your behavioral level. And that... And that we are expected to change, and that we are held responsible. That's like the Torah tells us that the uh, the ark, the holiest uh, piece of furniture in the temple, in the holy of holies, the ark that contained the tablets, was made of three layers, like a box within a box within a box. The outer box was gold. The in the middle box was wood. And the outer and the and the inner box was gold and then the gold cover covered it so it was covered on all sides from gold from within and from without but the center was wood gold is solid it's pure gold, gold wood, wood can rot so the Torah is describing all of us the Torah is describing us at the very core in essence you have gold, deep deep down you have gold you have a piece of the divine you have a divine spark inside us. pure gold, God is divine, God is infinite God is gold Externally, it's in our control. We can Our behavior can be gold, solid gold, pure, wholesome, wonderful. There's nothing in the world that's stopping us from leading a disciplined life, a wholesome life, just like you have a disciplined diet, you have a spiritual disciplined diet, and you lead a wholesome life, a satisfying life, a fulfilling life, a healthy life, in thought, speech, and action 24-7 consistently. There's nothing in the world stopping Of course, it's easier just to go down the road of drunk food and just to conform like most people do. But you have total freedom of choice to make a choice. I don't have to go down that road. I don't have to live that type of life. I don't have to live a drunk lifestyle. I can lead a wholesome lifestyle. But then you have in the middle, in the center, you have, you have your conscious self and you have all these thoughts bombarding you and you have these temptations and you have these weaknesses and you, have, you feel very human, like wood that could rot. So a person can feel bad and anxious and sad. Look at me. Look at the rotten inside of me. I have all these rotten, unhealthy, unwholesome uh, urges and instincts and self-destructive instincts and urges and, and have all these ugly thoughts bombarding me and negative thoughts bombarding me and self-destructive thoughts and, and, I'm, being, and I'm plagued with it and you feel terrible about yourself. Something is wrong with me. So the Torah says, no, you're still a holy ark. As long as your behavior, as long as your behavior is solid, gold, wholesome, healthy, and you do exactly what the Torah expects of us, you follow the Torah, solid gold, and that behavior reflects the inner core, the inner essence, the gold that's deep down inside, our divine spark, then it doesn't matter that in the middle you have wood, you have this all-too-human self that you can't control. That's a man. And you're not a failure, God forbid. Not only aren't you a failure, but you're actually fulfilling a mitzvah. You're doing God's will. And you're giving God immense pleasure. And that's who we are. You are in the front line. You are fighting the war, the battle for holiness. By overcoming those urges and overcoming those instincts and dismissing those thoughts, you are actually bringing holiness into this world. Because every time you suppress, you suppress your urge and your instinct, your negative urge or instinct, you evoke a response from above because our God is interactive. And... Whatever we do, we affect a tremendous response above. As the analogy that Al Rebbe gives elsewhere, that on the sundial, the sun goes millions of miles and it registers, and the sundial will register just a tiny movement. A tiny movement on the sundial means that in heaven the sun moves millions of miles. And the reverse is also true. This tiniest movement, the slightest movement that we make in this world. You overcame a a negative thought. You overcame a lewd thought, a negative thought. You dismissed it. You had the strength. You had the courage. You had the discipline. You dismissed it. You locked the door. I'm not interested. You're not invited in my home. You're not welcome in my home. This thought pops into your head, and immediately, as soon as it pops into your head, you dismiss it. I'm not going that route. Switch channels. I'll think something different. At that moment, that slight movement, that slight suppression, that slight overcoming, your, that negativity, achieves and accomplishes something so powerful and on high, above, in heaven. It evokes within God a similar response. We are the microcosm. What happens on the microcosm also happens on the macrocosm. Just like there's darkness within us, and you were able to overcome that darkness, you were able to overcome that negativity, so too on a global scale. God, so to speak, suppresses the negativity, the global negativity that's out there in the world. And the global impurity, of global negativity, that God suppresses. It. As a result of our suppressing our overcoming our negativity by being strong, this causes God to do the same on a grand global scale. That God suppresses the forces of evil, the negative energies in this world, and the forces of evil in this world, and He suppresses it and subdues it. All a result of our internally suppressing our own negativity, drives and urges and instincts, and doing the right thing. So this is a mitzvah. We're doing the will of Hashem. We're giving Hashem tremendous nachas, tremendous pleasure. Every time we have the strength to overcome our weakness, our human weakness, and we're able to do the right thing. This gives Hashem tremendous pleasure. And this, so to speak, strengthens Hashem and gives Hashem the strength, so to speak, to overcome the forces of arrogance and chutzpah and and, and ego and negativity and and darkness that's out there. So the level of holiness that you draw down into this world the, the, the pleasure that you've given to God is so indescribable. The repercussion of your act is so indescribable. You've transformed, you've made this world into such a better place as a result of your struggle, as a result of your comfort, as a result of you suppressing your negative urge and negative intent. And this happens each and every time you have to overcome that struggle. It's not that he finds it pleasurable. He's struggling. He's wrestling. It's so difficult. He does it. He breaks himself. He overcomes himself. He suppresses his desire only for the sake of God. So his connection to God in a certain sense is unlimited. Because he's just just bowing down to God. Listen, God, you don't want me. This is wrong. I'm tempted to do it. I know it's wrong. You told me it's wrong. So for your sake, I'm not doing it. His connection to God is unlimited. In a certain sense, the nullification of the benini to God is so much purer. It's so much deeper. Qualitatively wise, it's so much deeper than the nullification of the tzaddik to the to God. Because it's unlimited. He's giving of himself totally. He doesn't want to do it. It goes against his nature. He's tempted. He has these urges, that, these thoughts that pop into his mind. He's very tempted to follow these thoughts. And yet he overcomes them. Only because, for God's sake, no other reason. So his dedication to God is infinite. And that gives God infinite pleasure. And this is what distinguishes man from all other creatures. We're the only creature in the universe that we have the choice to go contrary to our nature. Animals can't do anything against their nature. They're programmed. Angels can't do anything beyond their nature. Where do you see a person's ability of freedom of choice, which comes directly from the divine? Only God has freedom of choice. It's a, the it's a human ability, the divine ability that God gave us to overcome our nature, to do something personal, to, go, to do something that goes contrary to your nature. That's such a personal choice. When you make a choice to do something that goes against your nature, it, it's so personal, it's so real. That's when you see how real a person is, that a person is divine. When a person just follows his nature, he's programmed. There's nothing divine there. When you overcome your nature, now you're touching the divine. And you're evoking such a powerful response because what, what it boils down to you at the end of the day, what's this universe? It's, it's a person to person, between you and God. The whole bureaucracy of the universe all falls by the wayside. All there is, is you and God. There's nothing else. It's a person. It's intimate. It's a relationship. There's nothing else. It's like husband and wife and there's, there's nothing else. The whole world dissolves. Nothing else exists. Just the two of you. When you make that choice, that's the most intimate thing you can do with God. Because it's so personal. You're overcoming your nature. It's a choice that you're making. And it's you and God, nothing else. The whole universe falls by the wayside, nothing exists. And that's what he says, that God's glory, the praise, the revelation of God that's evoked as a result of your personal choice of having the ability to overcome and dismissing that good thought. It touches God so intimately and so personally. So, don't feel sorry, Fiesel. Don't feel uh, you're not a victim. Don't feel sorry. It's a mitzvah. It's an opportunity. It's a myth It's a, a joy. And when you tackle life with that joy and that zest and that enthusiasm and that joie de vivre and that happiness of heart, then that's that's and a central ingredient to be able to overcome, to be able to face all the challenges that you have. When you have a clear heart, and you're joyful, and you're positive, and you're optimistic, and you're hopeful, and you're, you're confident, and you feel good about yourself, and feel good about life. That's what he says, don't feel too bad. You should feel a little bad. <laughs> if you're so comfortable, and you're so satisfied with your negativity, and the, and the, the negativity inside of us, that's not good. You should, you should always feel a little uncomfortable. But don't feel too bad. Realize realize what's happening. Realize what's going on here. Realize the opportunity that was handed to us. In, in God's world, there's no hierarchy. You're at the bottom of the totem pole. You're on top of the totem pole. You have to, you have to get beyond that whole way of thinking. There's no bottom and there's no top. Each one has a unique path to God. Each one has a precious path to God, a special path to God. Each one can accomplish something that the other one cannot accomplish. And each one needs the other one. And that's why we say, it says, the difference in the exodus from Egypt and the ultimate redemption, which we're all anticipating imminently, the coming of Mashiach, is that the Jewish people had to escape from Egypt. They had to run away from Egypt. Why do they have to run away from Egypt? As we learned earlier, why do they have to run away from Egypt? Pyro, unconditional surrender. They could have kicked the Egyptians out and, and taken over Egypt. <laughs> they could have stayed in Egypt. Why, why run? Where were they running from? They won the war. Pyro came running in the middle of the night in his pajamas. Please, whatever you want. It's unconditional surrender. It's like Nazi-German, unconditional surrender. You could have taken over the country, you could have done whatever you want. Who were the Jews running from? They ran away. Because they couldn't cope. They couldn't deal with the Egypt. They couldn't deal with it. It's like they had to run away from the Egypt inside of them. It's like someone who's addicted. He has to run away from the bar. He can't, be around, he can't handle it. They had to run away. They couldn't handle that environment. They didn't have the strength. So they had to run away. So the exodus from Egypt represents what we're discussing here, the banani, suppression. God had to crush the Egyptians. He had to destroy Egypt. The arrogance, the ten plagues, he had to destroy them and crush them in front of God And that enabled the Jews to run. They had to run. They couldn't handle it. So this is when the evil is still very much present and very powerful. And the hold that evil has in you is very powerful. All you can do is suppress it and run away because you can't deal with it. So they escaped, but they couldn't transform Egypt. All they had the ability was to suppress. The ultimate redemption, however, there will not be suppression. No one is going to run. They're going to go in a very relaxed way. Why? Because there's going to be a transformation. The world will be transformed. The world will become a holy place, an enlightened place, a godly place, a good place. Not only the Jewish people, the whole entire world. All 70 nations, 6 billion people, will come to acknowledge God and to recognize the sovereignty of God and willingly enter into a relationship with God and become righteous Gentiles and follow the seven Noahide laws and become moral, ethical, and spiritual, a world filled with integrity. Imagine a world a world without poverty, a world of uh, 100% clean energy, a world which is good. There's no authority and there's no suppression and there's no, there's no arrogance or ego. A good world where there's an abundance of materialism, an abundance of energy, and, and the world is a beautiful paradise. And that's the world that we're waiting for and it will happen imminently. There will be this transformation. So this is a world where there will be a complete transformation. Unlike anything we have now or that we've known for the past, since Adam and Chava were in Gan Eden, in the Garden of Eden. It says, when Mashiach will come, the miracles of Mashiach will be so transformative and so powerful that the exodus from Egypt will pale in comparison. The exodus from Egypt will be like, like a candle when the sun is shining. What's a candle in comparison to the sun? It doesn't add anything. The sun is shining. The new redemption will overtake us that we won't even, we'll hardly even remember the redemption from Egypt because it, it will lose its significance. Because this redemption is so much deeper and so much more profound and so much more transformative and permanent. But nevertheless, there'll still be a mitzvah to remember the Exodus from Egypt. Because even when you're at the level of transformation, there is an advantage to the level of suppression. Because the personal choice that you make when you have to suppress your negative urge and instinct, and you're only doing it because God is asking you to do it because it's the right thing to do. That moment, that personal choice, it's at that moment that you see the divine spark within the person. The person exercises freedom of choice. You see that a person is not just a cog and a machine. A person is not just a robot. A person, you see the freedom of choice. You see that a person has something truly divine and that a person is really unpredictable. And therefore you can make a quantum leap and you can go act in a way that's completely contrary to your nature and go overcome your nature. There's something precious, there's something beautiful about that moment that's that's irreplaceable and there's no substitute for it. So even when we achieve a transformation, you have to remember there's another path to God. And that's the path of suppression, of overcoming difficulty, rising above your nature, exercising your freedom of choice, making that personal choice just for the sake of God. There's something so pure and so innocent and so infinite about that moment, so godly, that Hashem says, you can't replace that moment. One is not a substitute for the other. There are two paths to God. And we'll discuss that next week. Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky.